Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. Do you have negative thoughts? You have an enemy who seeks to accuse you of lies, to render you ineffective in spiritual duties. Today, Pastor Andy will teach us how to be alert to the lies of the enemy so that you can live by God's truth and will for your life. Enjoy the message. Well, we are in Not Today Satan Week 3, and uh, are you ready to talk about one of, I believe, one of the biggest characteristics that gets in our head today. Are we ready to talk about that, about how to disarm his accusations in your head? Uh, does, does, do you ever get just voices in your head that begin to shout against you, that begin to kind of go against everything that you're doing? Am, 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 I, am I resonating, right? Or, or do you just have positive voices in your head, right? Is it just kind of a nice positive voice you can do it no you know what I'm talking about you wake up you don't want to get out of bed and you begin to hear all these things that are wrong with you maybe the things that you've heard against you from somebody else and it all rattles in your brain that's what we're going to talk about today and you know someone asked are we talking about Satan because it's October and you know it's a lead up to Halloween Uh, that may have been part of our thinking I I don't know we we pray up on what to, to speak about Um, But I believe that this is uh, a season that really we should lean in and say, okay, how do we, how are we to be aware of what the enemy may be doing in our life? You know, October is a season of people uh, that uh, get spooky. Uh, It's also a season of the World Series. Anybody watch baseball in here? Anybody watch the World Series? I want to actually see a, a hand raise here if you watch the World Series. Anybody? That's more than what I thought, okay? Uh, I used to watch the World Series every year. It was the granddaddy of all uh, sports uh, finales. Now I'm lucky if I watch one game. I don't even know who's in it this year. Is it the Phillies and the Houston Astros? Okay, all right. So I don't have any stake with any of those teams. So I guess go Astros? I don't know. So, But I loved baseball growing up. I actually loved playing it. I wasn't any good at it, okay? I was actually pretty awful at it. I wanted to be a baseball player just like any other kid my age growing up. Uh, But, you know, in playing baseball, I went into this phenomena called a slump. If you watch baseball, a slump is the odd phenomena where a, a hitter is really hot in the sense that he's hitting the ball and, he, and he's being very, uh, uh, he, he's getting on base often and then all of a sudden he can't hit the ball. And it's not that he can't hit the ball, he is striking out at each and every at bat. And when a batter went from being good to being bad, it's called he's in a slump. And so I was in a major league slump when I was playing as a kid. Uh, I, I, no matter what, when I was in this season of slump, I struck out. I was so bad during the slump, I went a whole month without hitting the ball and even getting on base. In fact, at this point, not only was I hearing jeers from the opposing team, but I was hearing jeers and name calling from my own team. And as a kid, that gets, that gets in your head. It begins to, to mess with you quite a bit. And so uh, I, uh, as I was getting these words stuck in my head, my dad would pull me aside and he would try to like tell me to, you know, focus and focus on the ball and look at this part of the, with the wind up from, from, from the pitcher and it just all these different things I don't really remember. I remember watching my favorite baseball player at the time, Cal Ripken Jr., because the Baltimore Orioles is my team. They'll never win a World Series. I don't know. But anyway, uh, he, was my, he was my man, right? He had the most consecutive game record, but he also is known for having the most different batting stances, all right? He, he, would, he would put his bat up like this. He'd put his bat down like this. He 
Because he never knew how he was going to hit the ball. And so I'm like, I'm going to just gonna be like Cal Ripken, right? I'm going to switch up my batting style just like him. And you know what happened? One evening I went up to the plate. I began to hold my bat like Cal Ripken Jr. I swang and I hit that ball in such a way that my slump was over, right? And I was shocked I not only hit that ball, I hit that ball. It didn't knock it out of that park, but it may well have been out of that park. I hit it to the diagonal side, you know, the walls meet, and it's still fair. It's the best in-the-park hit you could have, and I looked at it just shocked. I did that? I did that? And finally my team's like, Andy, run! You hit the ball! Run! I'm like, I hit the ball? Run! And I began to run, and I ran to first base, and when I went to first base, I stopped, and I began to jump, like, I hit the ball, I hit the ball, and my base coach is like, keep running, keep running, keep running. I'm like, what? Keep running. By this time, the ball was in the infield. My base coach came up to me, and he said, Andy, you could have not had just a double. You might not have had just a triple. I think you could have ran every single base. Why did you step and stop and jump up and down at first base? It's because I was excited, number one. But number two, the voices that were in my head that said I couldn't hit that ball, that said I was no good, were louder than the cheers of when I actually hit that ball. And so I may have hit the ball, I may have ended up running, but I was stuck because of the voices in my head at first base when I could have ran the whole diamond and hit home plate. Man, I'll tell you this right now. Sometimes some of you are in a slump today because of the voices that are in your head. Some of you, God is going to break that slump today. But because of the voices in your head that tell you lies, that tell you about your mistakes, that say all sorts of things that are not of God, we are not going to run the distance today. Maybe your marriage is in a slump. Maybe your job is is in a slump. Maybe the way that you see yourself in the mirror when you wake up in the morning, you're in a slump. Maybe, the, maybe your relationship with God, maybe it hasn't even begun for you, or maybe it is in a slump and you're like, I haven't been in the word of God this week, this month, this year. And as a result, other voices have come in and they've told you about where you're failing, where you can't measure up. Am I resonating with some of you in here, right? We are our worst critics, but it's not just a made-up critic in our head. I want you to know this is spiritual. This is spiritual. Today alone, you will hear 30,000 audible words. That's not including the word. We'll get to the unaudible words in just a moment at the end of the message. But 30,000 audible words a day, of which 10,000 of those audible words are advertisements. That I want you to buy something uh, tell you something that's wrong that you need to fix, or in this season, who to vote for, right? This person did this. He's awful. He is the devil incarnate. I'm like, no, I don't think he's the devil incarnate. I mean, you just don't vote for him, okay? So I don't know. I... Voices. We listen to a lot. We hear a lot, and they are powerful. In fact, listen to this. Proverbs 18.21 says this. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. 
Death and life are in the power of the tongue. It says elsewhere in scripture, by the same tongue we praise God and by the same tongue we curse people. It ought not to be this way. Words can build up, they can tear down, they can speak truth and they can spread falsehood. And science even shows that voices that the voices that we listen to can have a direct effect on our health and what we believe about ourselves, which in turn, the way that we act out in our everyday life. And as a consequence, some of you will never fulfill the will of God that he has for you in your life today because you're not listening to the word of God or if you are listening to the word of God, the words of lies or even the influence of the enemy is shouting louder and you're listening to that more than the truth of God. And you know, today, some of you are thinking, well, you know, I just, I'm aware of the falsehood. And today, maybe you're, maybe you hang out with people that are just negative people. Uh, maybe you hang out and, and you watch things on TV that are just absolutely negative or, or bitter. Or, or maybe they're, they're, they're spewing out a false spirituality or even, even a false view of Christ. Whatever it is today, whatever you hang out with, you will soon become. Oh, not me. Listen, it's a slow drip and eventually the drip breaks the firewall. You become that negative person or that, or that negative environment, you will begin to borrow those grievances. Man, what do we let, what do we let have rent-free in our head? What is living rent-free in your head? My dad used to listen to a band called Rush. There's only one line I remember from that whole band. It was, they're kind of a weird band, okay? But I remember it says, my mind is not for rent, right? Our mind is not for rent. So my question is today is this, this is our main idea, it's a main question, it's something I want us to ask ourselves over and over and over again. Who has your ear? Who or what has your ear? These are, this is a spiritual question. Satan wants to take life out of you this morning and he's gonna do it by the words or voices that you listen to every moment of your life. So Satan wants to take life away from you. Jesus wants to speak life into you. Jesus made this clear. Listen to this, John 10, 10. A thief comes only, and he's speaking of the thief, by the way, is Satan. A thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it abundantly. Who has your ear? So we're going to spend a good chunk of our time this morning in a book that I know that you read absolutely every day in your devotional life. It's the book of Zechariah. All right, we're going to be in the book of Zechariah chapter 3. If you don't know where that's at, that's okay. It's towards the end of the Old Testament. Just go to the table of contents. Nobody's judging you if you're in your physical Bible. Or if you're on the digital Bible, just look for Zechariah towards the end of the Old Testament. Press it and go to chapter 3, all right? We're going to be in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. And as you turn there, let me give you some background about this book. Zechariah uh, was a prophet, and he was writing to the people of God. Uh, in fact, most of the, uh, the end books of the Old Testament are written from prophets. They would hear from God. They would write it down. It would be a message not only for Israel, but a message for you and I today. Zechariah was writing to the people of Israel who had been exiled from their homeland. They had been, uh, been destroyed through war. In fact, God sent Israel and Judah into exile for being disobedient to his ways. And through this exile, many were killed, some were sold to slavery, and their temple in Jerusalem had been decimated. 
But yet a breakthrough occurred in King Cyrus of Persia, which is modern-day Iran. This is where Israel was being held captive, allowed the people of Israel to go back home and rebuild their temple. That's a miracle. And so uh, a number of uh, people from Israel, that were originally from Israel went back to Jerusalem to begin to rebuild their temple. But God reminded them through the prophet Zechariah, be faithful, be faithful, stay on course. So we see this in Zechariah chapter one, verse four. Do not be like your ancestors. The earlier prophets proclaimed to them, this is what the Lord of armies says. Turn from your evil ways and your evil deeds. But they did not listen. There it is, listening. What are you listening to? But they did not listen or pay attention to me. And this is the Lord's declaration. Where are your ancestors now? Woo, boy. And do the prophets live forever? But didn't my words and my statutes that I command my servants, the prophets, overtake your ancestors? You see, Israel was in exile because they didn't listen to the voice of God. They listened to other voices, the voices of culture around them. They, they listened to the voices of, that were perhaps even demonic. Uh, they listened to the voices uh, of people that were going to be disobedient from the statues of God. And as a result, their nation fell. And now God is giving them an opportunity to lay the groundwork for a new temple and have a fresh start. And Satan was going to do whatever he could do to make sure this generation of the people of Israel would be like their ancestors. He was going to do whatever he could to stop the forward advancing movement of God in their lives. And make no mistake, that's what he's doing in your life right now. He wants to see the forward movement, the advancement of God in your life to stop. He wants to see you in a rut. He wants to see your family in your rut. He wants to see your, your kids wayward from Christ. He wants to destroy you, but I want to give you an encouragement. I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. If you're in Christ and following Christ, he is stronger than any attack of the enemy. And yet we will see Satan wants nothing to do with this temple that's going to be rebuilt. Zechariah contains eight visions. And in Zechariah uh, chapter 3, we see a fourth vision, and this is the one we're going to focus on this morning, uh, where Satan is literally opposing the people of God. He's opposing God's people in front of God himself. This is a unique scene. Uh, Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. Then he showed me the high priest Joshua standing before the angel of the Lord with Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. This is an interesting vision. This vision is specifically a courtroom. And in this courtroom, you have Joshua, who would later on be the high priest of this temple that's going to be rebuilt. And we actually see Joshua standing before the judge, who is the angel of the Lord. Now, the angel of the Lord is a very uh, key term if you're reading the Old Testament. And many theologians, of which I would agree with as well, when you see the phrase, the angel of the Lord, it's not an angel, it's actually a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. It is an appearance of Jesus before he came to this earth in bodily form, uh, at what we celebrate at Christmas. So in the Old Testament, when you see the angel of the Lord, uh, you, you know that that is not an angel, that is a pre-incarnate Christ. Christ is showing up uh, to the patriarchs. I believe this is a key, uh, a key understanding here. Uh, people were able to see the Messiah uh, that had not yet come through these Christophanies, is what they call them, a pre-incarnate uh, vision of Christ. And so you see here, 
uh, Joshua standing before the angel of the Lord with Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. So the scene is compelling. Israel is being taken to court by Satan. And he's accusing him of sin. So what's the charge? Zechariah chapter 3, verse 3. Now Joshua was dressed with filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. Now, if you're reading this, you could just be like, oh, he had dirty clothes, whatever. I don't do laundry very often, right? And you're, you're probably thinking like, man, I have all that laundry I have to do after church. So did Joshua, I guess. So that's not what this is saying, okay? Filthy clothes is the charge. If he has filthy clothes, there's, there's really two understandings of this. It's either A, uh, he put ashes because he's lamenting. Uh, back in the Old Testament times, if you lamented, if you're heartbroken over sin or something that had happened, you would pour ashes over yourself and it would show society that you were mourning. So he's mourning over sin or he's representing the sin uh, prophetically here of the nation of Israel. No matter what, Joshua is not showing up in the courtroom in his best. He is showing up in the courtroom, a tattered mess, and that mess represents sin, and Satan is pointing his finger right at him. God, I, I bring you exhibit A, Joshua himself. Look at his clothes before you. He is a sinner. Here's all the sins that Israel has committed, and I am here today to accuse him before you. In fact, I accuse him so much that it is so evident I rest my case. Now, you might be thinking, wait, why are we in a courtroom where Satan is the chief prosecutor? Like, who does Satan think he is, right? If he's pointing out sin in, in Joshua's robe, his dirty robe, isn't Satan the OG of sin, right? Like, this is absurd. Like, wh why is this? And this is where you see the character of Satan on display. Do you think Satan is in this courtroom trying to convince God of anything? I mean, he might be prideful to think that maybe he could do something. No, he is much more tactical than that. He knows that he is a defeated foe. And as a defeated foe, he's going to take everything down with him. We see this in modern warfare, right? We, we may be seeing this before our very eyes and even the wars that we see in, in this world. When, when armies start to become defeated, sometimes dictators will say, guess what? We going down, you all going down. And so Satan knows that he's a defeated foe. So he's not there to convince God. No, 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 no. He's there to convince the accused. He's there to convince the accused to, get, to have him give up, to have Joshua and Israel think they're not worthy to rebuild the temple, to have them say, what is the use of following this God? You cannot matter. You cannot be worthy. Your sins, huh? he does that to us, doesn't he? How many of you have been taken up to the proverbial courtroom? where Satan is at your right hand, pointing at everything that's happened in your past, pointing at everything that is not even true, pointing at things in your life saying, you don't measure up to God, so why do you even try? There is his tactic. This is the reason why Satan is even trying to accuse Joshua before God. He's not there to convince God. He's there to deflate Israel. Satan's an accuser. The Old Testament word for accuser, as we see here in Zechariah, it comes from the Hebrew word that means to stand opposed and to attack. So this isn't just something like, I'm opposed to that. I don't agree with that. But you carry on now, right? He's like, uh-uh. I oppose you is what Satan's saying. And not only am I going to oppose you, I'm going to do it by attacking you. 
Attack your mind. Attack your environment. Attack your priorities. Attack you spiritually. I, that, that, that is what Satan is saying. He wants to attack you. And it's made clear Satan's MO is to stand opposed to anything God is doing, especially through you in his church. But listen, his attacks are even greater than that. We see this in the New Testament word for, uh, for accuser. It comes in the, the Greek word. I'm going to try to read it for you. Categorio. It's from Revelation 12.10. Uh, Revelation 12.10, we read this in our Revelation series. This is where Satan is actually defeated. He is defeated. But when he's being defeated, there's a descriptor uh, that is attached to Satan's name that I think is worth noting this morning. Revelation 12.10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say that salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have now come. I love that because when you're being attacked, know who is greater, right? But listen to this. This is what I want us to focus on. Because the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been thrown down. Oh, let's just focus on that. He's going to be thrown down when he's screaming at you. No, he's defeated. But I want you to know until this happens, this is future, he's running amok right now. And when he's running amok, that means that he is accusing you, brothers and sisters. That means followers of Christ. He's accusing you, what, once a day uh, at noon uh, when he checks in, right? When he texts, no, day and night, day and night, before whom? He's doing exactly what he did to Joshua in the book of Zechariah. He's accusing you in the proverbial courtroom. And this word, that categorial, it means charges before a judge. This word accuser, charges before a judge or an extrajudicial accusation. You see, Satan knows he's not going to convince God so what he does, and this Greek word really brings this out, is that he will become an extrajudicial accuser. What's that mean? He doesn't care what God thinks. He wants to convince you. He wants to convince society. He's going to go to the court of public opinion. And so the usage of this word not only stands opposed to things of God and attacks, but he is going to go about it in an extrajudicial way. He's going to go to the court of public opinion and lie. Who has your ear? Why does that thing or does that person have your ear this morning? So today we're going to look at three tactics that break the cycles of the enemy's accusations against you this morning. So if you haven't taken notes yet, pull out that pen or pull out your phone. Let's start taking notes because I'm going to give you three, all right? I'm going to give you three things, uh, the way to break the cycle of accusation in your life, all right? And the first one is this. Be ready every day. Not just be ready on Sunday. Not just be ready on Saturday night because you know you're going into Sunday. Uh, be ready on Monday, right, when you go to work. Be ready on Tuesday. Be ready on Wednesday when you're like, man, this week is just dragging. Be ready when you're ready to go home from work. Be ready when you're going to school. Be ready on Friday night and someone said, uh, you, you need to come to this party. Be ready when you know that when you're around that certain person, you compromise. Be ready every day. First Peter 5, 8 says this, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. And two weeks ago, Pastor Ben, he mentioned uh, a lion prowling around. He mentioned my cat. It, it did. You know what my cat did last night? I'm struggle-busting this morning here, guys, all right? I walked in the church with a little bit of a bad attitude this morning because of what my cat did. 
he knocked over a soda can last night, and he decided that he wanted to play, and he knocked over the soda can and he put a little hole in it so it was spraying out soda, and then he decided he was going to kick it all around the, around the kitchen. So I get up this morning, right, to just spend some time with the Lord, right, and I'm stepping in sticky stuff. I'm like, what is going on here? And I realized it was a cherry soda, so it was red, and it looked like, it just looked like a massacre all over my, my, uh, my kitchen. Yeah, lions prowl around. They cause trouble, okay? And they look for anything, anything to trip up your day. But it's not just a household cat, right? No, 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 no. It's a lion. A lion. In fact, our team went to South Africa in June, and we went to a lion park. I've mentioned this. Let's go and put up one of these beautiful, look at that. Isn't that wonderful, right? That's what's prowling around looking to devour you, right? But these lions were rescued from uh, circuses from all around uh, Europe. And the reason why we were staying here is it was just cheap lodging, really. Uh, but, uh, um, but they happen to have a lion park next to it. And so they're like, hey, would you like to watch the lions be fed for the next few days? Yeah, right? So they put us in this little vehicle, this, far, this safari vehicle. We got to watch. Um, they don't usually do this, so this was like a privilege. They would put this big, stinking piece of meat, right? Meat that would probably last a household probably a couple months. They'd put it in the cage, and you, you think, what do you think that lion did? Thank you. Well, let me just uh, savor this a little bit, all right? I know. All right. No, they just jumped on that thing and ripped it apart, and this passage right here immediately came to mind. I realized, whoa, Satan's a lion in this picture, and when we decide to walk with the lies, when we decide to not walk with the Lord, we are going in the lion cage, laying down and say, eat me, right? You know, just devour me, right? And they devour that meat just like they rip it to pieces. They, they rip the, the ligaments off the meat. It's, it's disgusting, but it's powerful. And I realize the enemy is looking not just to hurt you. He's looking to destroy you and devour you to nothing. And so therefore, we're told to be sober-minded, be alert, be alert, be awake. That sobriety is really important, by the way. I'll say this, we're living in a society here uh, where sobriety just isn't a thing anymore. Uh, we're like, yeah, whatever. You know, it's like, uh, you know, it just uh, getting drunk, getting high, all this stuff. It doesn't really matter in the comfort of your own home. It matters to God. All right, and the reason being, and, there, and this, is, this is lost uh, in today's teaching, I believe, in the church, but um, witchcraft in, I'm gonna get made fun of by some people on this, I'm sure, like, oh, that's so archaic, I'm just gonna say it, all right? So, but witchcraft, the, the, the word for witchcraft in the original is pharmaceuticals, is where we get pharmacy. Uh, the reason why witchcraft is banned in scripture is because they would often take drugs uh, when they were doing witchcraft in the Old Testament, and when, in New Testament, and they would open up their hearts to demonic things. Well, guess what? You might not call it witchcraft today, but like when you get drunk or when you get high, uh, you are, you are, in, in, you're basically pharmaceuticosing yourself to a way to where you're opening yourself up to where you're inebriated, uh, you, the, the, the faculties are lowered, and you're allowing anything to come in, right? When you've seen a drunk person, they just start spouting out, oh boy, they're going to regret that one. It's because the faculties are down. But just know this isn't just a, a bad judgment, it's spiritual, and it's not spiritual like you should try, man, because you'll know Jesus more. You're not, that's not Jesus, right? And so we need to be sober. I had to say this because our society just isn't honoring it. And I know that some of us here today, we might be struggling with that. You've come to the right place because, listen, we're not perfect people. We're people made new in Christ. And if, if you keep on falling off that wagon, get back on that wagon again, okay? It, it, don't, don't let Satan say, I can't believe you did that again. 
Be sober. But sober isn't just about drugs. It's about not being filled with bitterness, not being filled with envy, not being filled with, with, with having your attention on the wrong thing. Be sober-minded. Be alert because the enemy is prowling around ready to devour you. Now, I've mentioned this before. Allison and I, we love to camp. And um, one of the places we go often is Alaska. And there was a particular evening where a gigantic bear came in. There's been a number of times now. But in this time, a gigantic bear came into our camp. And I got everybody up. I began to hit our horn. I began our air horn. We began to have our, our bear spray out. Uh, we clumped together and, and tried to look bigger than the bear. But in the corner of my eye, there's this brother and sister that are on our trip. And this sister is literally trying to shake her brother awake. He's like, get up, get up. You're sleeping. There's a bear. Get up. And finally she realized, I'm causing more attention here. I'm just going to let him sleep. And so she joined the fray to, to go after the bear. And have the, and the bear end up leaving. But I just realized that dude slept through this entire bear encounter. He had no clue what happened the next morning. He was like just kind of smiling. He was in his one-person tent. And he couldn't wake up. And when I read this passage again, I realize, you know what? For a lot of us, that's us. It, it, the thing is, he definitely could have been in danger. He didn't know it. He was resting and he was calm and he was at peace. Listen, church, you need to know this. You have an enemy that is prowling around and we need to be alert. We need to be sober-minded about it. And we need to know that he wants nothing more than to destroy you. But when your eyes are on the Lord... You can be assured to this. The spirit will be in full control of your senses. When, when you are following Jesus Christ, when you're, when you're reading his word, when you're allowing him to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you realize your circumstances, what's going on. You realize when your emotions are out of bounds. Uh, you know when your enemy is attacking your mind. Uh, you know when, when things are, are, are not of the Lord in the situations that you're in. And when you want to respond with gossip or hurt or insecurity, you allow the Spirit of God to overtake those situations. The Spirit of God is stronger than any attack. And that's why not only do you need to be aware of it, you need to be leaning into the one who actually can throw an attack against you. So, be alert every day. Who has your ear? Not only do you need to be alert, but number two, you need to know the blueprint of the enemy's attack. This is so important for you as you unarm the accusations of the enemy this morning is the blueprint of his attack. And let me just say this. The enemy is really predictable. If you begin to look at patterns in your life, you can almost predict when the enemy is going to attack. Now, there are times he attacks like, well, I didn't see that coming. But he's very, very predictable. So let's take a look at his blueprint. All right. I'm just going to go ahead. And let's go ahead. Do we have a, do we, there it is. All right, so this is the enemy's predictable blueprint. All right, write this down, memorize this. Number one, it's going to be temptation. He's going to try to tempt you into doing something. Uh, the moment that you're, uh, you're through with being tempted and you actually give into it, he then becomes an accuser. He accuses so that you're condemned. And when you feel condemned, you want to give up. And then you start the cycle all over again. All right? So let's take a look at the first one, temptation. Temptation. He goes for your mind. Temptation. Let's go back to the courtroom in Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 3, verse 3. Now Joshua was dressed with filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. 
as he stood before the angel. Now, again, uh, we, we know that his clothes are dirty uh, because of the sin that's representing the nation of Israel. Israel had been in a constant cycle of getting right with God and then really messing up before the Lord. It was an endless cycle that led them into the exile. And often what happened with Israel is they were tempted to be like the nations around them. When you read the totality of the Old Testament, by the way, if they made the Old Testament into a movie, it would be rated R, okay? Because Israel would often borrow uh, the cultures around them. So they would do human sacrifice. Uh, it, it, Israel would borrow uh, the, the sexual ethics of the world around them, uh, going into prostitutes or, or having multiple, even the multiple spouses. That didn't come uh, from God. That came from cultures around them. And so they would take on all these customs and all these ways of culture around them and they would drift far from God and God would give them into their sin they'd go into exile they get right with God they have a good season then they'd have a bad season over and over and over again and I believe Satan he he knew when Israel was vulnerable they were vulnerable when they won the victory and then all of a sudden they're like oh we're on the mountaintop and all of a sudden boom he hits them with the temptation you know today in our culture uh, we can be like Israel right we are being inundated with messages today that are not of God. There's messages today that are even said that are of God. That's why you need to be in the Bible. So you know that when someone says, this is from God, it's not. You're like, eh, wrong, that's not from God, right? We are being inundated with messages every single day to tempt us to get away from the ways of the Lord. Satan is tempting you this morning. He's tempting you into false worship. He's tempting you to get distracted. He's tempting you to, to buy into things that will ultimately destroy you. Now, let me say this. Sometimes when people mess up, they immediately want to say, the devil made me do it, right? Have you said that before? Oh, we all have, right? And you've heard people say that, the devil made me do it. Well, the devil may have tempted you to do it, but let me tell you this. There's a, this is missing in our culture today, but it is actually taking personal responsibility, Right? Not blame shift, right? Also, you have to listen to the political ads like, you did this. It's like, wait, but didn't you do that, right? And so we, we like to blame shift in this culture. Don't take personal responsibility. It's always somebody else's fault. Somebody else has got to pay for it. Somebody else has got to do something about it. And that's what we do with the devil. The devil made me do it. No, he tempted you. You have personal responsibility to be obedient to the things of God. And God prov always provides a way of escape when you're facing temptation. Did you know that? There's always a way of escape. You don't be like, oh, I just got to do it. I mean, I, I'm feeling it. Kind of want to do it. He's giving it to me. Sorry. No. There's a way of escape. For some, that means moving your computer to a different room. I once had a student that, that was going all, all sorts of different websites they shouldn't be going to. And this is back in the day when the computers were huge. All right? And I said, hey, I got an idea for it. It's like, yeah, what? You're going to tell your mom that she has a new centerpiece in the middle of the dinner table. It's like, what? Why? It's like, well, I think once you explain to your mom why, she's going to be okay that there is a computer with a giant tower, giant screen in the middle of her kitchen, okay? Why? Because there is a way of escape where you don't have to keep on doing these things. For some people, it means today getting rid of your smartphone and getting a good old flip phone without the internet, all right? For some of you, it means that when you go into the store and you overspend, it means that you have to date Ramsey, it better not deserve, you cut that credit card in two, right? For some of you, it means your social media 
needs to be a little less social and a little less media, right? You need to say no to social media. Again, are these things necessarily bad, computers or phones or social media? No, but they often trip you up. And some people are like, well, I just, I just, it's just what we do today. We all have smartphones. No, there is a way of escape. So don't blame it on how culture is or this is just what we do or Satan made me do it. We have the personal responsibility to say no to the temptations. To Israel, it seemed like everybody was doing it. Man, and we know it's God's way. We know it's, we're God's people, but everybody's doing it. The enemy was luring Israel. He's luring our culture and he's luring you today. He's luring all of us. Why? Because we see in John 8, 44, Jesus says, you are the father of the devil. You want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he's a liar and the father of lies. Jesus, by the way, is talking to the Pharisees here. <laughs> right? When I first read this, I'm like, oh, he's talking about Satan. No, he's talking about the Pharisees, the religious authorities who are pushing forth their self-righteous narrative. And they wanted their narrative and people to believe that Jesus was a, a, a lawbreaker. And listen, their narrative was working. People were believing that Jesus was this lawbreaker and that, he was the, that Jesus was somehow uh, the, the father and the, the spawn of Satan. And so what do you think Jesus did? Well, I know that nice little, you know, Jesus, British Jesus, you know, in the, in the movies. Peace be with you, Pharisees. I am not he who you say I am. Peace be with you. Now, there's times that Jesus did do that. But let me remind you what he said right here. You are the father of the devil. Huh? He basically called them, you are, you're, you're the kids of the devil. Why? Because you are repeating his lies. You see, sometimes we think Jesus is just all nice. No, no. He hit this lie head on. The father of lies. And know this. This is what we can learn from this passage. We cannot flirt with the enemy's falsehood ever. The moment we begin to walk down the path of like, well, to God, does it really matter to God? Did God really say that? Uh, it, it, what, what does it really matter? We've already lost. We cannot flirt with the enemy's lies because he's a liar and the father of lies. 2 Corinthians eleven three says this, but I fear that as a serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your minds may be seduced from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. You see, Paul was so worried in the Corinth church that they were gonna be listening to the lies of the culture. He was like, listen, I am afraid just like Eve, just like anybody else has preceded you, that if you begin to listen to these lies for a second, that your pure devotion towards Christ, you're gonna be seduced. Now this word seduced, and the enemy is trying to seduce your mind this morning to think thoughts that are false, to act a way that's contrary to Christ. Seduce or seduction means to be led astray. And we often have a connotation today, a, a sexual connotation to that, uh, but it has a much broader connotation in the Greek. It means to anything to take you away from God. Anything. And Satan is putting on the charm this morning. He's sending out the vibe. He's even sounding slightly biblical to corrupt your thinking we have to be bible christians church we have to be spirit-filled christians church we have to be people that are less about ourselves and less about our thoughts and more jesus 
So what are you most tempted with this morning? He will make you think about temptation over and over and over again. And then he'll have you overthink it and overthink it to where you feel not confident in the things of God. And you begin to kind of lean into his lies. And he loves to get in your head. The, the devil loves to cheer you on. When you're being tempted, he's like, do it, do it, do it. Everyone's doing it. Have it now. Buy it now. Satan is your number one cheerleader when he's tempting you. But here's the zag. When you give in to his temptation, he's not there at the finish line with the high fives. Like, ha ha, you did it. He's like, do it, do it, you do it. Then he's like, what did you do? I can't believe he did that. You, you did that? How could you? And as he can see in the cycle, you move from temptation. You move from temptation to accusation. To accusation. And accusation goes right for your identity. How could you do that? And when you enter this part of the cycle, the enemy is in his prime. This is what he's made for. He will expose the very sin he was tempting you with. He will twist good things and call them bad and accuse you and he'll bring up your past and he'll take you to the proverbial court in your head right in front of the judge and he'll become the judge, jury, and executioner himself. And he'll drown out the truth of God with his lies. I went to a um, pretty strict Bible college in Iowa. I'm thankful for my time there. But they had, some, they had some interesting rules back in the day. They don't have these rules anymore. I think they realized they were wacky. But anyway, uh, one, of the, one of them was this. I had to wear a three-piece suit when I went to class. And then during the day, I had to just wear campus uh, dress, uh, campus clothes, and which means uh, no shorts, collared shirt, that type of thing. And if you went off campus, then you could wear shorts. Woohoo, right? So I went home for a day, and I wore shorts. It was like 70 degrees. I was like, I didn't stand on campus. I'm going off campus. I can wear shorts, right? Living the life, right? Rebellion. No, I'm just kidding. All right, so anyway, I went off, I went off, uh, went off campus, went, to, went, went down to my county, went down to my town, and, uh, and what ended up happening was this. We lost track of time. We hurried up. We got, we got, uh, we got home or got back, got back to the Bible college. And I, and I realized, uh, as I was in the dining hall, I didn't change into my clothes. I was wearing my, I was wearing my uh, shorts. I was wearing my T-shirt. Normal, I, I would say, to today's standards, right? But you should have seen the dining hall. It was loud. People were talking. And all of a sudden, can I sit there? Right? Oh, man, the RA, he showed up with his little fine book. I got fined like 15 bucks, and then I had to go to the dean's office. I had to explain, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And it was in that, it was in that one day before me seeing the dean for wearing shorts in the dining hall, I, I, I had to think, like, am I going to get kicked out of Bible college? And if I get kicked out of Bible college, like, can I even be a pastor? And it's amazing how silly that sounds for wearing shorts in a dining hall. You begin to question your, even your calling. But you know what? I bring that up because there's trivial things the enemy will have you question if you're even a child of God and you know the deep things that have happened in your life, the deep things that are insecure in your life, and he's doing it right now. He's saying, how could you ever be used by God? How could you ever even pass a card out on Monday night because, oh, you know, God can't use you. Those are lies from the enemy. Lies. He's accusing you when God is saying he's for you. Prophet Isaiah reminds us in Isaiah 54, 17. Mm, let's drink this in, church. 
Mm-mm-mm. Let's do it. Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon formed against you will succeed, and you will refute any accusation raised against you in court. This is the heritage of the Lord's servants, and their vindication is, oh, listen to this, the vindication is from me. That's what God says. Satan stands to accuse you, but know that in Christ, you have an advocate. If you're in Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Satan wants you to hear his accusation, but Jesus Christ is saying he is standing to be your advocate this morning. Satan wants to accuse you. Why? Because ultimately he wants you to feel condemned. That's just to give up. So in that next part of the cycle is condemnation. Satan's aim is for you to give up. He wants you to listen to his lies, give in to his lies. He'll accuse you of failing just so that you will give up all together. And thus commences a downward spiral where you can go through the cycle over and over and over. You give up, you're tempted, uh, he accuses you, you feel condemned, you give up, and you just become more and more defeated in life. How many of you are riding that merry-go-round this morning of the enemy's temptation, accusation, condemnation, you give up? Look, you know, the, you know the promise that Jesus said, come to me who are weary, and I'll give you what? Rest. But the enemy says, hey, hey, drink this. Nobody's looking. Smoke this. Nobody's looking. Uh, hey, go to this place. No one's looking. Buy this because nobody's looking. I can't believe you watched that. <laughs> you did it. I can't believe you drank that or smoked that. I can't believe you went there. I can't believe you spent your money on that. Really? Do you know who you are? You're supposed to be a Christian. Do you know who you are? You're fake. You're that fake Christian everybody talks about. Uh, there's no way you can recover. Uh, there's no way. You're going to go to church? You're going to go serve in church this morning? Uh, you're going to, oh, you're going to sing in church. No, no. You need to sit down in your seat and look miserable. Because you're going to be fake otherwise. You better not think any of those points this morning are for you. Because you did all those things. That's what the enemy is all about. He wants you to think that none of this is for you, but the word of God is for you. When you come in brokenhearted and the worship is blaring, you got the freedom to sing and say, God, it's not me who's going to vindicate myself. You are the vindicator. Back to the courtroom. Joshua is standing accused by the prosecutor Satan before the angel of the Lord. Zechariah 3, verse 4. So the angel of the Lord spoke to those standing before him. This is what the angel of the Lord, God said to him, take off his filthy clothes. And then he said to him, see, I have removed your iniquity from you and I'll clothe you, man, I'll clothe you with festive robes. He's not just a, hey, take off his robes. I'm removing the sin that's in you and just, Give him the same robe that's just clean. No, you know, take it. Here, I'm going I'm to give you something to borrow while we dry clean this. No, he's like, give him the robes for a party. I want you to know this. You may be coming in here brokenhearted this morning. You may be coming in here and you're resonating with the, with the, with the robes that are dirty. God wants you to know you can come to him this morning, get right with him this morning, realign your mind with him this morning, and he's going to put a robe on for a party. 
her pastor put it this way, Satan sees your sin, but Jesus sees his son. When you're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. Hebrews 4.14 says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us, home, let us hold firmly to the faith we pro pro profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne with grace, with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Where Satan wants you to give up, Jesus says, let's get started again. Let's do it again. Let me lead the way. Let me advocate for you. Let me empower you. So we need to be alert every day for the enemy's attacks. We need to know the blueprint. Oh, he's predictable. And number three, as we close, we need to refuse and constantly refuse to listen to the lies of the enemy. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 for though we live in a world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Part of our issue is this. We can know he's out there attacking. We can know his blueprints. But we, just, we, we don't refuse to stop listening to the lies. Refuse to listen to the lies. Refuse to let whatever that is to, let, to live rent-free in your head. They are getting an eviction notice this morning. Amen? Years ago, I remember this kid. He was in a reading class, and this is back in the day when teachers could say, uh, they, they still weren't good teachers in, in the day. They were really great teachers, and there was teachers I could get away with things I don't think they get away with anymore. But I remember I was in a reading class once, and this kid, didn't, he just couldn't read. And the teacher called him ugly, called him stupid. And you want to know something? The kid never really learned how to read as long as I knew him. His teacher lived rent-free in his head. He never stopped listening to those lies. He was a really bright kid as well. We need to take every thought captive. Every thought. We have a lot of words that we hear every day. How many thoughts do we have a day? Experts think 70 thousand thoughts a day in our minds but here's the part that blows my mind 90 percent of those 70,000 thoughts are repetitive they're on a loop now you can see the danger of a lie right it will repeat itself tens of thousands of times a day it is so important that we take captive every thought so that we make it obedient to Christ. Because if not, it's going to be like a, a washer and a dryer. It's just going to keep on tumbling in our heads all day long. And you better believe it's going to affect you. Are we going to refuse to listen to the lies? Are we going to let the Spirit set us free? And if you're going to refuse to listen to lies, it's not only in your head, but it's your environment and the people that you're with. Proverbs 20, 19 says, the one who reveals secrets is a constant gossip. Avoid someone with a big mouth. Refuse to listen to the lies of the enemy and, and those that are around you because it harms your heart. And Paul worried about this in 2 Corinthians 12, 20. He says, I fear that perhaps when I come, I'll not find you to be what I want. And, you'll, and, and you may not find me the way that you want. Perhaps there'll be quarreling and jealousy and angry outbursts and selfish ambition and slander and gossip and arrogance and disorder. The key to this is if we want order, we want spirit-led order, that sometimes the spirit gets chaotic, I get it, but spirit-led order and not the chaos of the world, stop 
listening to the lies of the enemy. Who are you listening to? Here's our take home, and then we're going to pray. Worship and pray. Who do you need to stop listening to? Maybe that's a podcast. Maybe that's a show. Maybe that's a person. Maybe it's an environment. Again, you might not be contributing, but if you're listening, you're actually passively contributing. A gossip will not continue to gossip if they have no audience. Number two, what lie do you need to stop entertaining in your head, specifically about yourself? And if you don't know it's a lie, talk to a trusted somebody that loves Jesus. and Talk to them about it, okay? Number three, where does Satan have a stronghold in your life? Where are you in this endless cycle of temptation and accusation and, 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 and condemnation and you just give up? You can end that cycle today. The Spirit of God wants to meet you exactly where you're at to break that cycle and stronghold today. You might not be perfect. You might fall off that wagon a couple more times with whatever that is. But I want you to know Jesus will be there to pick you back up and move you forward. What is it? Name it today. Name it today. So, Father, we love you and we thank you that you are indeed the God of mercy, that you break the cycle of temptation, accusation, condemnation, and just giving up. God, thank you that you're for us and not against us. And, Lord, I pray everybody in this room now would submit to your ways, that they would follow you with every area of their life. Lord, I just pray that you would identify a lie that someone believes about themselves. God, I pray you break it in two. God, I pray that the words that come out of our mouths would be building up and they would build people up. Father, I pray in this room now that whatever that stronghold Satan has in a particular life in this room, today you would break that cycle. So you break that cycle against pornography. You break that cycle against alcohol or drugs. You break that cycle against anger. You break that cycle against pain pills. You break that cycle against rehearsing failures of your past. You break that cycle of jumping from relationship to relationship. You break that cycle where you trust something more than God. God, break those cycles in this room today. Just continue to meet, the, meet with the Lord. Holy Spirit, will you come? As we just invite the Spirit of God, I just want to speak to anybody in this room as we continue to pray. I want to ask you a very important question. You cannot begin to break any of these cycles if you've never asked Jesus Christ personally to come into your life. Have you asked Jesus Christ to save you from your sins? Have you placed your full faith and trust in Christ alone? If you have not, this is your moment. There's nothing in your past that can stop you. There's nothing in your present that can stop you. Jesus Christ will receive you as you are and take you where he's going. So if you want a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, and you know you don't have a relationship with him, it's the only way that you can get to heaven, it's the only way that you can have a relationship with Jesus, is by asking him to step into your life right now. So Lord Jesus, I pray for anybody in this room that is unsure, or they know they don't have a personal relationship with you, Lord Jesus, I pray they get right with you right now. You just cry out in your heart right now. You can do this silently, you can do it out loud, that's fine. But just say, Lord Jesus, I know I've done wrong. Lord Jesus, I know you've made me to be with you, but I've sinned. And there's nothing I can do to get back to you. That's why I need you. I need you, Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross, for saving me from my sins. Thank you for standing in my place. 
Thank you that you rose from the dead. Thank you that you actually defeated death. And I'm now confessing with my mouth that you are Lord and God. I believe in my heart that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose from the dead. And I'm declaring to you right now, Jesus, that I want to be a follower of Christ. Just tell him that right now. If you're unsure, you know you don't have a personal relationship with him. Get right with Jesus right now. With every head's bowed and eyes closed. If that's you, we just slip up your hands and say, yep, that's me. I'm placing my faith and trust in Jesus today. I'm getting right with Jesus today. Thank you. Anybody else? Just raise your hand up high and say, yeah, that's me. I want to place my faith and trust in him alone. Awesome. Awesome. Lord Jesus, thank you for those that are making decisions for you today that are placing their faith and trust in you. As we continue to pray, I believe the Spirit of God is, is welled up in many hearts in here that there are, there are cycles or chains or, or habits that need to be broken. And today you've named it. And today you want to give it to God. You want to give it to him and trust him. Trust him to lead you in this area of your life. If that's you, nobody looking around. If you're like, yep, God has spoken to me today. I want this, I want this, this cycle to be broken. If that's you today, we just slip up your hand. Yep, that's me. That's me. Awesome. Anybody else? Just raise those hands up high all over this room. Awesome. It's like, yep, God is specifically speaking to me of breaking this chain. Anybody else? Just raise a hand up high and say, God, because I want to pray with you. Awesome. I see you over there too. I see you over there. I see you. Awesome. And again, I'm going to pray for you this week. But really what you're acknowledging to God right now is I am giving this to you. So Father, I pray that you would do, uh, do a work in this church. Do a work in our hearts and defeat the cycle of accusation of the enemy in our heads. Love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.